Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer-turned-psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello, and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today, we've got a very special guest because he's somebody that I actually know probably one of the longest people in my life since elementary school, and we're having a little bit of a reunion here. It's none other than Jeffrey Matson, and he's the CEO of MissNet, and that is a startup company in Silicon Valley, and they do AI-based cybersecurity, and they use AI to find patterns of attacks and stop them. So the idea is that you won't have these attacks on your security systems and in, in your company. So Jeffrey, let's let's just say hello. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Joni. Thank you for having me. Well, this is great. I'd love for you to just tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about yourself and how you came from Cambridge, Mass, maybe, because that's where we knew each other, <laughs> uh, to uh, Silicon Valley, and you're doing this startup venture. It sounds really interesting. Yeah, well, so um, I, uh, I uh, after school, I worked in uh, Bell Labs in, in New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Bell Labs is, uh, to translate for some younger people, Bell Labs is <laughs> Google. <Yes. laughs> it used to be Google. We used to do a lot, like lots of research, and it was a place you wanted to go to have fun and do technical stuff. Um, and... Uh, and then um, I ended up uh, in a startup that uh, in the 90s that was very, very successful, it turned into at a, a $8 billion exit. And they sent me around the world. They sent me to Europe, uh, relocated me there for a while. Um, and I, uh, during that time, I was working on networking, working on shunting information around uh, the globe. And we spent a lot of time trying to uh, figure out ways to move more and more information you know, from place A to place B. And what I've been doing for the past 10 years is we've kind of sort of reached the end of that technology cycle. We started to invest a lot in you know, developing our chips to intelligently route the traffic. And then we focus on optics, fiber optics to sort of optimize how much data we could push. And we've sort of reached the point of diminishing returns there. And what we're looking at now is how we can extract information from those networks in real time and use them to, uh, for different applications, especially if we combine that type of data that we're getting from the network with big data technologies and with AI, and we can get a lot of insight into things like cybersecurity. And so uh, I'm at a, a startup right now that's focused on that. You know, what we do is we deploy um, sensors throughout an enterprise organization. We pick up a lot of the data that they uh, are generating in real time and we look for patterns that would indicate that they are being breached by, a, by an intruder or that someone is misusing the, their information, stealing their information or encrypting it um, in a hostile way. And then what we can do is actually uh, automatically intervene and you know, use AI, AI to block the attack in real time. So we can sort of stop some of these larger breaches that you hear you know, in the news every two weeks. Yeah. Uh, these larger companies, right? Yeah. So there are a lot of other companies focused on this area too. It's, you know, it's obviously a big problem that needs to be solved. Mm-hmm. You could think of it as maybe like technical debt for uh, 
the amount of uh, the sprawl of IT equipment, communications equipment that we've developed over the past 30 years or so, this IT revolution, you know, one thing we kind of skimped, skimped on was embedding security into the, into the products very deeply. Right. And now it's time, now we're paying the piper, right? Mm-hmm. So we're trying to reduce the, the cost of that bill at MISNET. Yeah. And so, so this is all very nerdy, of course, and requires yeah. several types of nerd disciplines. And <laughs> my team is, you know, 100% nerd. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, and we're trying to reinvent, reinvent ourselves. So we're, we're happy to be a uh, guest in your show. Ah. <laughs> yeah, it is really technical, you know, and, you know, you've mentioned as we've been uh, talking over months now about the reinventing nerds, Yeah, some really interesting perspectives on this and insights. And I would love to get them from you for our listeners. And, you know, first of all, you know, what kind of challenges are you seeing with the people at work? I mean, I'm not asking you to name names like, oh, yeah, you know, Bob's really a pain. But, you know, like, what kind of general trends are you seeing in this industry? You know, that. Well, I think yeah, there's a, that's a great question, Joan. I think that there's a, something, there's a sort of a, you know, nerd privilege or techno entitlement. Yeah. And I think that um, one of the ways that uh, I grew up was, you know, coming out of school and, and um, having, you know, technical skills at a very young age that were very, um, that were, were very valuable and, and sort of owning a technical area, you know, gave me a lot of power, um, mm-hmm. you know, right out of school even. Um, yeah. And without actually a lot of maturity or insight on how to use that power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that uh, what people had to do with me was sort of just like, uh, they, they couldn't afford to let me leave the company. They couldn't afford to, so they just had to sort of put up with me, right? And I think there's, this is a pattern that happens with a lot of nerds. You just generally uh, are grow up like a spoiled child in, in the industry. And I think it's even gotten worse in this last tech boom cycle. Okay. You know, I mean, we are, you know, now the salaries, the compensation packages for uh, nerds have gone, you know, skyrocketed. It's very hard to, to get them. We do all kinds of things to woo them. And um, the problem is, so uh, you can actually learn a lot of patterns that are, not very helpful for yourself in the long run, not very helpful for your team, not very helpful for your company, right? So I think, uh, you know, a, a lot of what's in your sh- the short-term interest of a manager to do with a, with a good, solid, strong technical contributor um, might undermine them in the long run. You might put up with a lot more than you should, and the person will never learn some of the softer skills that they need to be truly successful. Wow. Yeah, that's great insight. I mean, it's like raising kids, you know, you want to give them stuff, you want to give them the lollipop because they're crying, you know, and make them happy. But does that make them, you know, develop a self discipline to not be able totally. to cry? You know, it's the same. Totally. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I also think that, you know, the, one of the worst things you can do, like psycho, psych, psych, uh, studies have shown that one of the worst things you could do to a young person is like give them a big inheritance at a young age, you know, yeah. so if you're graduate from college and you have mm. enough money to have a good time, but not really enough to live off for the rest of your life. And you just really don't develop the work habits that you need for the rest of your life it really undermines people. It also gives them a sense of guilt and some other things. Right. And I think that, you know, having certain tech tech skills can sort of have us the same effect. It's, it's almost this unearned gift that can spoil you, you know, at the wrong mm. age. And then if you don't, and also, also if you, the worst thing that happens is you run out of this inheritance money. If you, your tax bills become cold after some period of time or something, or, yeah. yeah, then you're in real trouble because then you're just, you know, you're, you're a nerd with a nerd personality, but without hot nerd <laughs> skills, right? So. 
Yeah. It's like you see this with superstars like in Hollywood who go off and spend their millions and millions of dollars buying crazy things. And all of a sudden they're not high anymore. Right. Oh, yeah, and they're yeah. just like, Oh, they have, yeah, they hit rock bottom. You're like, how could they hit rock bottom? They had so much. Exactly. But, yeah. It happens yeah. all the time. Yeah. Dream house. Uh, wow. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting how the nerd thing too, with the tech skills, you know, you have to keep sharp to be able to stay valuable as well. Yeah. And you know, you're, it's not just the, the uh, access to, you know, money or compensation or perks or other things, but you're just, you know, people treat you so well. Yeah. If you are a nerd on, and, and you sort of own something technical, some technical area mm -hmm. and you actually, because you're so narrowly focused in that technical area, I think there's a, there's a name for this phenomenon. I forget what it's called, but basically you think that because you're an expert in this one little piece of code that's very valuable you think you know everything about everything okay. you know you overgeneralize your expertise mm -hmm. level so it, you can really set yourself up um, to become very arrogant and and uh you know so you see that a lot a lot of uh, uh technical people too also very very um firm you know social and political beliefs or beliefs and conspiracies or whatever mm -hmm. and and they tend to tend to uh sometimes overestimate their general knowledge as well yes yeah we have you live in this bizarre bubble yeah. yeah 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 oh that's interesting so you know part of this is looking at management and and companies how to develop your technical teams so they don't have this, this maybe this um blindsidedness and to their their skills but also yeah. just as individuals who might be watching or listening and saying wow I need to make sure that I am still like a nice person, what you're saying, or have some humility, or uh, don't let myself get such a big head that I forget that people are people, and um, yeah, maybe there's some karma, <laughs> I don't know, in this <laughs> world, so that, yeah. I mean, that was one thing, at least back when I was in Silicon Valley, we always said it was a very small world, and you had to be careful, because the person you're... Uh, that's working for you is going to be hiring you at the next job, right? When everyone <laughs> gets laid off and spreads true. around or whatever yeah. that is. So well, uh, let me ask you something else. You said that the, uh, this, in the latest tech boom, this might even be worse. I'm wondering if you're seeing any generational differences. Is this kind of well, one of the know, millennial things? Cause entitlement is also one of those words people. It is, but you know, if, but if you remember back, Joni, you know, that's what baby boomers used to say about us too. Yeah. The exact same term, and I, I, I'm sometimes I'm concerned that like every generation thinks that previous generation didn't didn't earn it. Right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but I will say this: that you know I don't know what it's like um, in the other places, but in Silicon Valley, certainly the 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 um, the perks that are available uh, to young technical people are like they've never been before. Um, you know, basically in the 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 culture in Silicon Valley has changed to a certain extent because of Facebook. Facebook was the ultimate success story. You know, it's just basically a website. Now it's generating, you know, billions of dollars a year. It's worth several billion. And the key people involved in it were very, very young mm -hmm. and didn't have very long records of, you know, of success. So in the, in the past, you know, what we'd look for with uh, earlier stage startups with like a Cisco or Intel, mm -hmm. to take a variety of disciplines, people with a certain experience level who could bring some technical depth and technical experience to bear. But um, the, the new generation of startups is a lot of it's based on it's relatively low tech and it's about speed of execution. It's about ability to leverage other people's software. 
It's about ability to uh, market through social media. So it really skews towards much younger, uh, a much younger uh, demographic group. Right. I, I do think that yeah. they, you know, so the, the people that are involved in, in that, the, 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 uh, the elite young people that are part of that culture um, are in a very, very good position right now, much better than, than we were when we started out. So I think, and as I said, you know, all boom, all tech booms, we've had a like 10 year tech boom, but it will come to a bust. I mean, tech is very cyclical. Mm -hmm. And when it does, mm -hmm. you know, just as in 19, uh, 2000, uh, sorry, 1999, you know, you could be a PHP programmer and uh, HTTP, you didn't know HTTP, you'd be in a great position. Right. Then when the, the bust happened, um, you know, B2B meant like back to Boston, everyone went back to Boston, <laughs> oh, yeah. insurance job. And when the bus happens now, if people have these uh, poor skills and they're also these poor soft skills and, and they're also their tech skills are not as highly uh, valued um, and they're relatively light, then they're, they're going to be in a very bad position too. Right? So, yeah. So I think, you know, what really helps people is to, you know, what's good about working and doing, doing internships first and then working your way up is just sort of learning to discipline yourself, learning how to, how to work with other people in a corporate setting. And, and if you never really, learn that then it's uh, your transferability into other industries is is greatly diminished I think. So, right and it know. might be at one point when you wake up one day you'll find that that will really bite you because you don't have some of those skills there especially if you want to lead a team i mean right. it's thing to be an individual contributor and to be coding and you know or have these tech skills and do all this another thing to move up into a position where you actually have to manage teams of people and negotiate contracts with oh, yeah. people in other organizations yeah. and, and all those kind of or things. even to just to achieve a technical project properly you know mm -hmm. there's this myth of you know you watch like iron man or something yeah. tony stark you know it just goes off in his lab alone he has a robot help him or something right <laughs> like pretty much in, you know just does everything himself mm -hmm. That's, that never happens in the real world, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, real technology can only be developed by a lot of people collaborating together, right? And people that have actually led successful projects in the past, they're not, it's not, they're not tech heroes. They're people that can get other people to become heroic, right, as mm -hmm. a team, right? Yeah. So. so, you know, you're one of these tech heroes, right? I mean, you're leading a... Well, I used to be when I was, uh -oh. younger, I was a real <laughs> jerk and a tech leader, but now I'm now I have to put up with my with my uh, my my nerdy team. But actually, so, they're yeah. they tend to be very nice guys, right? So okay, overall. so let me. How do you how does it how do you make that happen? I mean, is this something that you do when you're hiring people? You make sure to check for these kind of skills, or do you develop them, or is it just sheer luck? You were really you know happen to get the right people, just you know because you. That's a good question. Yeah. But, but I think, uh, yeah, I, I think I just kind of start with a nice core and then they really advocate to bring in other people that are also mm -hmm. nice, you know, good to work with. A lot, of, okay. a lot of people that are very smart are also very charitable and, mm -hmm. and uh, nice. And part of being creative, I think, you know, is actually having that type of attitude, right? Mm -hmm. It's wanting to, wanting to contribute, wanting to give, wanting to create, not wanting to, you know, exercise power over other people, right? Okay. So, so I think that culture kind of, uh, self-develops but i have to tell you that i still struggle with you know basic nerd impulses and and like what? Uh, uh, yeah. my team does well you know to always want to be right okay to have your own way to to use any information you have to your own advantage mm -hmm. uh, so uh it's just a you know something that uh i have to struggle with and 
and people I work with often struggle with all the time, right? So how do you, uh, you know? Well, I wouldn't consider a, yeah. myself a model of getting past it, but oh. uh, we just, uh, you know, basically the, the people that I work with, uh, we generally have a understanding, you know, after working together that we're going to be very frank with each other and sometimes mm -hmm. we'll challenge each other and mm -hmm. we, we, we try and be very friendly, extra friendly after. Um, and we, we, we say that, you know, challenging is part of the relationship. And so we just make sure that it's put in the right context and, and not taken right. so personally. And, yeah. You know, so the conflict is really around the issues, not the people. Yeah, that, exactly. Yeah. It's not personal. Mm -hmm. It's, it's mm -hmm. about the ideas a war of ideas mm -hmm. and things like that. So. Oh, that makes sense. And especially if you kind of set those expectations up ahead of time, then yeah. people know and it's okay. And they can challenge you too, I suppose. Or Oh, definitely. They, yeah. they certainly do. They run hurt <laughs> over me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> and they're all now, they're much smarter than me too. So it's pretty easy for them, right? They're running circles around me. So Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, role modeling, that's huge, right? I mean, if you can take it and uh, when people challenge you, then you're showing them how to do that as well. So yeah, I like to say that it's it's good to have a little bit of conflict to sort of keep people awake. But I think some of it is just, as I said, it's just embedded nerd culture that we should someday try and maybe get past. You know? mm -hmm. Well, something else we've talked about in the past is a little bit about sort of some, I don't know, reenacting family or origin of dynamics at work. How does that show up for you? I mean, how do yeah, you Yeah, I have noticed that. I think that people generally, they come up with their social models, you know, at work. Uh, or in probably in other settings based on family dynamics, you mm -hmm. know, and I think they tend to, they tend to, to look at their uh, peers, uh, the way they look at their siblings to a certain extent. They look at their, their uh, management structure, the way they look at their parents to a certain extent. And I do think that that plays out. I think you can see how people, the expectations they have of their company are often mm -hmm. based on their family of origin. I don't think, you know, that's uh, looked at very often, you know, in the literature, but I, I, I think I've seen it play out a lot. Yeah. Well, in the psychology literature, you would see that a oh, lot. I? Okay. But, right. yeah, I mean, not just in terms of the work, but just in general. I mean, that's how you learn to uh, develop your coping strategies and your social interactions. And what you're pointing out here, I think indirectly, is that it's not always, uh, what's useful at the time like it might have been the right thing to do when you were five and you had siblings you know beating you up because they were bigger <laughs> and stronger right, right, right. That versus, you know so you learn a certain coping strategy there and then you get to the workplace you know you're an adult and you've got other people on your team it's, it's not the same thing but exactly. you don't know any different so you have to relearn you know and try to figure that out and I think sometimes you know, having even just these discussions about how to interact with people and uh, what people's motivations are and all that, like you're doing, is yeah. a way for people to rethink that. And, uh, you know, sometimes it's self-insight, you know, uh, thinking about why people do the things they do, what's driving them or what they're afraid of. You know, often it's like, well, I'm afraid, you know, and you realize, oh, I don't need to be afraid of that anymore. I mean, that's not, you know, right. I mean, <laughs> you know, there's no, no kind of playground that's going to like shove me uh, underneath the slide or something. right? You know? So, right. yeah, so it's very different. So, um, but yeah, it's a really interesting insight to come at it from just seeing how people are, are interacting just at work and saying, wow, um, I wonder how that came about in terms of their family, you know, back way back in their kids. 
Yeah, and especially in this country, it's a very diverse set of cultures, you know. Mm -hmm. But I think in, in other, you can see people coming from other countries where uh, you know families have more uh, uh, homogenous values sets, and you can sort of see how that affects how they see their interactions with authority figures and with their peers, you know. And mm -hmm. There are some cultures that, well, you know, like Hofstadter, uh, you know, talking about this, like right. power distance. And, yeah. Yeah. So you, you, I think that the sort of the way that they honor or you know fear their elders for instance is the way they interact with their boss for instance wow. their loyalty to family you know is affects their loyalty to company you know and i guess loyalty has always you know, has a positive connotation but sometimes it goes too far too right mm -hmm. but I, I just think that that's a so maybe this is really well understood in the, in the psychological literature but i just uh haven't seen as much of it in the uh, corporate setting talking about uh, talking about sort of how uh, family of origin sort of influences people's expectation of, you know, people say our company is like one, it's, a, it's like a family. Oh, you know? it's, it's good like or bad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're thinking of their family, right? So, right. and yeah, that can mean all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, you certainly raise a lot of issues there. And you know, I think just getting people thinking about it is the first thing, the first thing, you know, to make yeah, people understand, yeah. like, is this something that is uh, healthy for the workplace or is it an unhealthy habit that I developed or uh, could I bring it in and, and make it a better place, you know, because of that? I mean, some people learn really nice uh, family dynamics as kids, you know, whereas others don't have that opportunity. So yeah, bring that in. Um, well, I want to ask you on another another line of inquiry here um, because your company is all about technology you're building AI and boy you know speaking of communication how you know how do you see technology maybe even AI technology affecting the way people interact with each other oh that's interesting mm. yeah um, so yeah that is really interesting yeah so um, I think people the, the problem with AI is in behavior is that people are much more predictable than they, than they think they are. Oh, no. We all think we <laughs> have our own free will, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, there's always that debate about free will. I too. know. <laughs> <laughs> but um, it's an interesting uh, concept, the idea of, you know, AI maybe. That's really interesting as a, as a mediating technology to help sort of explain or sort of mediate um, areas of conflict or Sort of or, or do some subtle form of intercommunication between people. That's a really interesting idea, Joni. So I'm going to start writing on the patent, the patent right now, <laughs> before you can. But um, yeah, I think you know right now the AI is it, the the third generation AI is kind of in its infancy right now. It's very good at recognizing handwriting and and uh, recognizing um, identifying objects and photos and natural language processing, um, but uh, Understanding semantics or metasemantics is what you're talking about is something that it will be applied at some point. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's actually, a, that's kind of a very interesting application. But how do we monetize it? Oh, I know, yeah. <laughs> we'll talk after this episode, yeah. right? Well, I'm also thinking about, you know, you said people are more predictable than they realize, you know? Yeah. Are we finding that, uh, you know, developing AI technology that we could, perhaps avoid miscommunications because the technology can understand each other, you know, people right. better than other people can, or, you know, I, I'm curious. That, that is a, that's a really great idea. Having some sort of mediative technology that could have sort of 
<laughs> explain in different words so to translate right. from the way you speak the, the way I want right. to hear things. Yeah. Right. I don't know, it's like that. I don't even see that, that meme about like the manslater, right? Or yeah. on YouTube, they say like, you know, if, you're, if a woman's talking to a man or a man's talking to a woman. Right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what do you really But you're going to have that, um, yeah, for, for different coworkers. That actually might be really useful when they think of it. Sort of a cultural translator. Oh, yeah. Or a personal, personal expectation translator. It's a really interesting idea. Yeah. And especially as an adaptive technology too, for some people that you know have a spectrum uh, disorders, mm -hmm. you know that something that could uh, that could communicate to that person in a way that's easier for them to understand. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a really interesting idea. Yeah. yeah, that could be really useful. So I want to sort of turn this to you personally and figure out what kind of strategies you've developed over time to help you be uh, better communicated with people? I mean, as you've gone through your career, what have you done? I mean, or if anything, you know, that you've really uh, taken on to improve in that area? Well, um, that's a good question. What I generally do is uh, try and make up for um, in, uh, you know, kindness and in uh, friendship, uh, the excesses that I make in, uh, in <laughs> terms of arrogance and, and, uh, and, uh, forcefulness right and mm -hmm. you see like a lot of tech leaders like as i said it's very acceptable to be a steve jobs right or bill gates mm -hmm. or you know larry ellison you know these tyrannical personalities are accepted and you know almost uh almost uh, glorified in our culture and um so if i you know, show symptoms of being that type of leader, then what I try and do is make it up to the people by being a better friend later, right? Mm -hmm. When the mood passes. But in the heat of the moment, Johnny, I have to tell you, it's very difficult. You know, it's very difficult to take your old impulses, your old reactions, and train yourself to, to act differently. Mm -hmm. I think you just have to spend more time trying to make up for it later on. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. if you have any if you can suggest any strategies let me know right <laughs> so. well yeah actually that's some of what i do is you know <laughs> yeah. figuring out I, I think the key is what you're saying in the moment is acknowledging that it's happening and figuring out how to pause and right or you at least come back to it sometime right mm -hmm. so. and i think it's good for you to have these type of shows where you get the word out that you know people mm -hmm. can be more productive more creative get more more work done if they think about the long term, they don't think about always being right in the moment. Mm -hmm. They realize that they may have developed some quirks, some personality quirks from being, you know, this techno privilege that they've grown up with, and that it actually doesn't serve them well, right? Right. So. Yeah. No, that's. I love it that you're just being also very honest about it. You know that we're not all perfect, and sometimes we do have to make up for things when we you know transgress or something or yeah. realize that we made somebody feel bad so you figure or out we okay. can be self-aware later basically yeah yeah absolutely and that's i mean that's huge i mean people seem to respond to that as you know other people on your teams do that as well they yeah we think realize, that it, yeah. it actually helps build the relationship over the longer mm -hmm. run right mm -hmm. so at the end of the day it's it it's a takes time and attention but it, it, it pays off in the long run like I said, then the, ne the next time we have uh, a spat or something, next time we have some conflict, everyone will know that it's completely not personal. It's just in the moment. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it can be good, clean fun, right? To have a little mm -hmm. bit of conflict. Uh-huh, yeah. Less boring, right? Yeah. At work, so. 
Well, I'll tell my husband that next time we get in a fight <laughs> and I'm mad at him. About, hey, yeah. conflict is good, you conflict know? Conflict is good. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, I guess when I talk to folks in the workplace, when this kind of thing comes up, there's usually something that triggers you. And that might mm. be like what you're talking about, this family of origin business, you know, like some people it might be, oh, you're just saying, for example, always having to be right. And somebody challenges you on that. And all of a sudden it just makes you, you know, like it, you can feel your body tense up and you have to lash out or something like that. Um, it might be something else like, um, you know, a fear of making a mistake or something like that. You know, there could be all sorts of things that are, that are in there. And the first thing is figuring out what it is that sort of gets that trigger going. Uh, and then that's when you can come up with a sort of the solution to pause and say, okay, a reset moment here is instead of lashing out yeah. um, is to do something else instead, like say, oh, you know what? Uh, often people like pause it up and be like that, you know, that's an interesting point. I'm going to have to think about that. Can I get back to you tomorrow? Or, you know, let's, let's take a little break. Cause you know, I, I need a little bit of time here to, to process that, you know, sometimes we'll do that, um, just as a, a way of being able to figure it out. And then later it gets easier. You can just, yeah. Or, fillers, you know, yeah. but it could work the other way too. I mean, so, you know, like in, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and outliers mm-hmm. and he talks about how, you know, children that grow up and, you know, more working class families, more authoritarian families, mm-hmm. they, uh, or they tend to have more authoritarian families, and then they don't develop the confidence that they need to yes. manage their bosses properly, manage hierarchy to speak up. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, it can, it can work. So you can be too deferential as well, right? Mm-hmm. But I think it's important for people to understand that, okay, you're, you may have grown up in that type of family, uh, for instance, where you, you, know, you have to respect your father and you don't talk to him. But now you're in a different setting. Your boss is not your father. You have right. to learn to speak up or you're yeah. not going to do very well, right? Right. So, you know, people, uh, they, they, they project, uh, I think, their family of origin into work. But they, they've also learned sort of ways of, mm-hmm. of dealing with different types of people, peers and authority figures from their mm-hmm. family. And, and it's in, in everyone's best interest to be aware of that and to see how they need to modify it to get ahead. Right. right. Yeah. yeah, just changing it from the way I used to do things to the way that it will be beneficial to do things. I mean, that's something that I think we all have to do over time because it doesn't ever say stagnant to begin with. You know, right. like each phase of life, we have different ways of communicating that are, uh, you know, uh, healthier and uh, more productive. So, right. yeah, so one no, of the constant development. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes, you know, it, yeah. yeah. So, oh, wow, these have been really interesting insights. Yeah, and I, yeah, I'm so glad we were able to have this conversation. Me too. Um, and I think that our, our listeners and Reinventing Nerds might have gotten some great uh, ideas to, to continue thinking about, even if we don't have all the solutions right away. You know, it's like half the battle is even just being aware of these issues. Like, Absolutely. You know, yeah, and I just really appreciate you being willing to be authentic and share the challenges that you've been under uh, and these different roles that you've had. So thank you, well, Jeff. thanks, Joni, and I appreciate your insights as well. So let's go reinvent those nerds. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up and say thanks to all our listeners and our viewers and to subscribe, uh, rate, and review, and uh, we look forward to seeing you on the next one. 
We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.